We can all agree that sometimes life just hurts. Through this sermon series, we'll learn how to respond when we're wondering, why do I have to go through this? Where is God? Why does life hurt? You gotta, you gotta love, you gotta love Jimmy, and he can lay it on a thick. Can't, you know what I mean? I first met him when he was in college and doing mission trips to Romania. That's how long ago. He's a different guy today. Praise God. Different guy today, but still a lot of fun. Can we just give? He's not here, but can we just give a round of applause for, for Jimmy Kearns? He's good at he's good at all this stuff. He's good at everything. He's got he's he's Mr. Systems. He's got everything in his head. He knows exactly where he wants to go. Really, really tremendous guy. But you know, things have changed and grown over the years. I, I don't know if you noticed that. Church is not the way it was back in the day. Um, and you know, like this microphone thing. I probably shouldn't tell you the secrets behind the little things back here and the is on or whatever the case may be, and and you know, all of that. It's it's, it's kind of the new way we do church. And it wasn't that long ago that the lapel mic, which is what this is, literally was a lapel mic. I mean, it's like you had a hole in, this, in the stage, wire came out from here, and a hole in the stage, wire came out from here, and you wired the pastor up. He can only go so far, right? So, you know, there was one time this guy was, he's really excited about his message, and so he was, he was just preaching. He could preach this direction. He got kind of tangled up in the wires, kind of untangled, and he came over here and preached a little bit to them, got a little bit wired up and, you know, all that kind of tangled up stuff. Finally, a little girl on the, from the third row looked at her mom and said, if he gets loose, are we in danger? <laughs> Probably more in danger with him sitting, no, I'm just... I want to talk about encouragement. I want to talk about hope. I want to leave you with both, if by the grace of God I can. I think it's on God's heart these days, don't you? I think it's a great series that you're in and very honored to have a small part in it. Very honored to be invited to be on this stage. But people say things when they want to encourage you. And sometimes it's stuff that works and sometimes it's stuff that doesn't. Like, we'll learn to fight another day. Uh, Maybe I don't want to fight another day. Maybe I got... Maybe I got beat with that last one. I don't, wanna, I don't wanna fight another day, but we'll live to fight another day. Here's another one. Don't, do not, don't hang your heads. Well, what else am I gonna hang? I mean, what else? It's okay, we didn't want it anyway. Well, no, I really did want it. What do you mean we didn't want it? I, no, I really did want it. I, 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 I'm sad that it's not there. Or here's one that's hard to say. He who, lasts, he who laughs last laughs the loudest. Number one, it's not a big use saying because you can't say it. But for those of you, for those of you too who actually try, what it means is we're gonna get we're gonna get him in the end. I'm not so sure I'm encouraged by all that. In fact, but the worst one I ever heard was when I went to E. E. Smith Senior High School as a freshman. I was on the and so I heard that the junior varsity football team was was short a couple of defensive backs, safeties, and cornerbacks. And I thought, well, you know, I'm not big and, and hefty, but I'm fleet of foot, and so I bet I can do that job. And I loved football. So I went out, so kids, don't do this. You go to hell for doing this, okay? Don't do this. You ready? Ready? I lied. Don't do that. I went to the coach, and I put on the tightest. I was 105 pounds wet. First, let me start there. I was 105 pounds wet. Seriously, I didn't actually get wet to figure it out, but I could just tell. I was 105 pounds wet. So I went out. I put on my tightest shirt that I owned. So I, I could make myself look as muscular as I could. And, and, and 
So then I went to meet with the coach and I said, you know, I heard you want to see you got, got some space for a couple of defensive backs, maybe safety in a corner or so. And I love football. I love to play. Can I try it? He looked at me and I, I said to him, I weigh 125 pounds. He looked at me like, dude, that's, that's the dumbest lie. I mean, there are lies and then they're really, really dumb lies. There's no way I'm falling for that. But I, and I could tell it in the moment, but I thought it's my only hope, you know? So several days into it, you know, I went back to the coach and I said, listen, coach, you know, I, I'm trying my best and I know I'm not as big and strong as the other guys, but, you know, but I can catch them. So, um, you know, how am I doing? He said, you know, listen, we, we, we know who's really working hard and who really wants to play and who's just really shamming. So you're on the team. So I was really grateful to be on the team. That was so cool. But then I found out the team kind of has its own mission and that's to come up with its own slogan. You know, like these other ones, you know, you'll learn to fight another day and don't hang your heads and that kind of stuff. Listen, boys, don't hang your heads. I mean, that's it's been used. So here's, here's what the, the junior varsity football team came up with. They said, here we go. This is what we're going to yell at people. So when we pull our bus onto their property, we hang our heads out the window and yell at them before the game starts. Just kind of, Hoo-ah! you know, just to give that little bit of a, that masculine thing. Here's what, we, here's what we decided upon. You ready? This is it. This is the one. If we lose the game, we'll win the fight. I'm thinking, that's, guys, you can't get much dumber than that. If we lose, you're, you're pulling. First of all, you're in your team bus, and you pull up. The game has not been played. You hang your head out the window, and in unison, you yell at those other players. If we lose the game, they're thinking, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. This, they're admitting loss. But see, that wasn't the real reason that I was in, in consternation about that. I weigh 105 pounds, right? If, you're gonna, if, you're gonna, if, if, we win the, if we lose the game, and we go out there to actually fight, which, by the way, we never did fight one. Thank God. I'm sure God said, what do you think? Uh, I'll kill him. <laughs> he won't last the first round. Everybody out there is going to go after the guy that weighs 105 pounds. Now, the lineman, forget it. You never touch me but because I can run, and I'm gone. But the other guys, not so much. Anyway, thank God we never had to use that. But I actually called a friend of mine and gave him an encouraging word recently, and he laughed in my face. I thought, man, that was kind of, it's kind of rotten. So here I was trying to give him an encouraging word, and here's what I told him. I said, a live dog is better than a dead lion. Isn't that encouraging? Doesn't it just lift your spirits? A live dog is better than a dead lion. Before you criticize that too much, you need to know it's from my favorite book in the Bible, the book of Ecclesiastes, which you're thinking now, oh, that's what's wrong with him. He likes Ecclesiastes. Who even, who even understands Ecclesiastes? Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 4. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better than a dead lion. And to get what it really is all about, you kind of have to understand how they viewed dogs back then. Now, today we got pet smart and all that, and you probably got your, you know, you haven't brought your pet to church, but you're thinking about it. So a, a dog is a vicious, filth. I'm reading it right out of the, in, uh, the definition, kind of what, what does this mean to a Hebrew? It's a vicious, filthy beast roaming around with no master. For the Jews of the day, it was a picture of, of all that was common, base, lowly, contemptible. So if you really love your dog, just be glad you were born at this era, not that era. It's also a word picture for the, for the Hebrew of a male prostitute. 
But a lion, on the other hand, a lion, on the other hand, look and don't look because I didn't put it on the screen, but I'll just read it to you. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 30. A lion is mighty among beasts who retreats before nothing. They've got courage. And in the NIV, it, it, conveys that, uh, it conveys that in the NIV. It's also the most exalted among animals, the most glorious and glamorous among man. So there are three reasons why. I think there are probably more, but since I'm preaching the sermon, I get to say it's three. So if you want five, go get your own sermon. Just playing. Three reasons why it's better to be a live dog than a dead lion. Or another way to put it, why we can have hope no matter what our circumstances are. Number one, God specializes in tough cases. Number two, God specializes in the turnaround. And number three, God is writing a page turner, which means a book you can't put down. So if we were to take a look at people who are tough cases and analyze what God did with them, and people that were turnaround and see what God did with them, and then the promise of Jeremiah chapter 29 that God can do more than what we've even hoped or even imagined. Let's start with Moses the murderer. You're thinking, wait, Michael, uh, you need to check your notes. Moses the murderer? I mean, Moses the Red Sea, we got that. Moses promised land, got that. Moses 10 plagues, got that. Moses the murderer? Absolutely. See, Moses was raised in Pharaoh's house to be a diplomat, a, a warrior, a scholar. A, 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 he, he, had, he knew numerous languages. He was, he was quite the guy. That's how he was trained for diplomacy and sometimes for war. And so he went out, as it says, in the, it says actually in the book of Acts, that he went out to look among the people and he thought that they knew, uh, they understood that he would one day be their deliverer, but they did not. So they rejected him. What makes matters worse, there was, a, there, was a, there, was a, um, there was an Egyptian fighting against a Hebrew. And Moses went out and killed the Egyptian and buried his body in the sand. And the next day, there was, there was a Jewish guy fighting a Jewish guy. And so Moses went out among the, them and said, what are you doing? You should, you're, they're your brothers. You shouldn't fight among yourselves. And the one guy said to the other, said to Moses, he said, are you going to kill us just like you killed that Egyptian yesterday? And Moses realized that the thing had been found out. And so he flees. He doesn't wait for forgiveness. Never does it say he asks forgiveness. Interesting note for Bible study for you can do on your own. He winds up being a shepherd, which is in the mind of the uh, Egyptian is the lowest, which remember he's trained as an Egyptian, is the lowest kind of animal you could be. And, and the lowest kind of taker of animals, caretaker of animals is an Egyptian. No, it's not Egyptian. Is a, uh, um, just jumped out of my head. He's got the sheep, shepherd. Do you see that? I can teach you how to do that too. When you're sitting there talking to somebody, you go, uh, you snap your fingers. That's the key. That's a lie. And I just lied in church. Boom. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. It's over. Oh, well. Let me finish this out, and then, you know, we'll see. And to make matters worse, they weren't even, I'm sorry. <laughs> I shouldn't. To make matters worse, they weren't even his sheep. They were her sheep. He married a, a woman of the land, and they were her sheep, which is another just a terrible thing for him. Moses, however, watch this. Moses the murderer becomes Israel's first pastor, 
and destroys the greatest empire on the earth at that time with a stick. Rahab the prostitute, you heard of, ever heard of her? See, when Moses spied out the land, he sent 12 spies in. 10 came back and said, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. We should, we should really think about it, but there are giants there and I don't want to fight them. The other two guys, Caleb and Joshua, they said, come on, God's going to fight our battles for us. Let's go in and let's possess the land. Well, they disrespected God, so for 40 days they wandered in the wilderness. And everybody over the age of 20 died. Now it's time for them to have their day. It's time for them to have their day. And so Joshua's smart. This, he doesn't send in 12, he sends in two. Because kind of symbolically, two people came, went in, came back, and gave a good report. Ten gave a bad report. And, and I, actually, Joshua's one of those two. So he knows what it's all about. And he sends two people in the land to spy out the land to find out what we're going to need to do in order to overcome this land flowing with milk and honey and make it ours. And so, interestingly enough, they run into a prostitute. Think about it. The future of Israel and the lineage all the way through Jesus, every bit of it is in the hand of a prostitute. Wow. And this prostitute says to them, I will protect you if you will protect me. I'll hide you in my home. I'll give you directions as to where to go and where not to go by the time these people who are looking for you find you. If you'll do that and you'll protect me when you destroy this city, I'll tell you what to do. And that's exactly what happened. Do you know that you can open up your Bible in the New Testament and look in the genealogy of Jesus and Rahab the harlot is listed there? Man, that's a tough case. Jericho was an impregnable city. It was, it, was, it was impossible to overwhelm it, and everybody knew that. So God, God gave Joshua a simple plan that would require no action from man to demonstrate he was going to do fight their battles for them. And so they marched around. There's a stupid, don't say that word in church either. It was a, not a smart plan. You got me off, and now I'm just falling apart right here in front of me. <laughs> I'm sorry. So Jericho, Jericho is this impregnable city. And so they're marching around it the first day. And you know, they're not just saying, hey, everybody, how you doing down there? No, they're throwing junk on them. They're, they're throwing rotten stuff on them. They're throwing stuff that you can't mention. They're, they're throwing all kinds of stuff on those people. They walk around. Did you see what they did yesterday? They walked around. They didn't say a word. I hit that one guy with a tomato right in the face. I mean, it went all over. It was amazing. What a shot. So there was, the, then the second day, Third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, the seventh day, he said, now I want you to walk around it seven times on the seventh day and shout, shout, and see what happens. You know what happened? The walls fell. Rahab the harlot was saved. Come on, somebody. God specializes in tough cases. Impregnable city? It's God. Let me show you what I can do with that thing. Impregnable. Get a better city. Number two, God specializes in the turnaround. Everybody knows Peter. Everybody knows who Peter is. Peter's the guy who not only puts his foot in his mouth, he puts his whole knee in his mouth all the way up to his hip. I mean, he, this guy puts his, he, he's a professional at putting his foot in his mouth and saying the wrong thing. So Jesus is at the last days of his life. He's in the, literally, he's in the last days. Actually, yes. Two days. 
He's in the last days of his life. And he says, at the, at the supper that they shared together, he says to the, to the disciples, listen, they're gonna kill me. And it has to be done. But I'm not gonna stay long in that tomb. I'm gonna get out of that tomb. I'll raise from the dead and I'll meet you in my hometown in Galilee. He gave them these instructions. And he, he, wasn't, he wasn't playing, but he, he was serious. I'm gonna die. I've been telling you that now day after day, that this is gonna happen, and that I'm not gonna stay in that tomb long, so don't worry about that. I'll, I'll get out, and I'll be resurrected from the dead, and then I'll meet with you, we'll, we'll, we'll convalesce, I'll meet with you, we'll decide what the strategy is to advance the kingdom of God all over the planet. We'll talk to you for 40 days, which he did later. Are you all with me? You scared? No, you said, if I nod, you're gonna cuss again, so no. I didn't cuss anyway. Peter, he, he, Jesus is in, he's, he's, he's sweating. There's an actual medical uh, name for this. It's about that long. My son just preached a sermon and used it, and I hated him because I could never pronounce that. So I just say, you know, it's a, it's a disease where you can be under such stress you sweat blood. It literally is a disease. Jesus is, has just been in that situation, sweating blood. He can't. Just the insides are eaten alive with the anticipation of the wrath of God. And Peter says, these guys may betray you. These guys may leave you, but I will never leave you. I could just see Jesus, in, not, not out of humor. Peter, listen to me. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. If I have to die for you, I will not deny you. I'll meet you. I'll meet you after the cross. Interestingly enough, so you think, oh, what a worthless guy. But Peter, who denied Christ, though he was dutifully, dutifully warned, is healing people in the streets just two months after his denial. Can you believe that? You open up the book of Acts and you read and, 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 and you look and see what's going on. Peter walks down the street. If, his if you're sick and the shadow from his garments touches you, bam, you're saved. And bam, you're healed. It's an amazing thing. How did that happen? God specializes in the turnaround. Gideon, Gideon, there's, Gideon, there's no place in Judges where Gideon is talked about where Gideon comes out to be a hero. Not really. First of all, he starts off and, and, and he's in a wine press. He's in a wine press and he's threshing wheat in a wine press. So why is that important? Several reasons. Number one, because Midian is coming. Midian is a country with a number of warriors that's as great as a, I mean, I mean, it's huge. You can't see the end of it, like the sand in the sea. And every year they come to Israel and they take all the produce of Israel. They take the wine and the grapes and they take all the food and the crops and all the animals. They take all that and then they go away. And so Gideon thinks, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna trick you with this. I'm gonna get something for myself. So it goes into a wine press. He doesn't think about the fact that a wine press is where you stomp on the grapes and it, it's a very special place for, it's only used for that. But then a threshing floor is where you take a, 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 a threshing, it, 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 there's a name for it, and you throw the, throw the, the, the wheat and the barley up in the sky and the wind blows the chaff away and only the good stuff remains. The negative side effect for the poor, you know, whole wine process is you've destroyed it as soon as you put the wheat in it. Y'all with me? You follow this? 
So he's actually, so are you gonna use this again? I don't, I'm not thinking about tomorrow. I'm not thinking about using it again. I'm thinking about getting something right now and I'm hiding it. Where's your mom? I mean, is, are you getting some for her? No. What about your father? Are you gonna thresh out some for him? Even though it's, a, it's not a good idea, but if you're gonna do it, can't you be a little bit generous? No, let them figure out their own way. And every time the angel or God through the angel speaks to him, he speaks with some, you know, like, hail, mighty man of valor. And Gideon's like, you know, if you read that story, there's so many places where he says, please show me, please show me, please take away my fears. Come on, man, rise up, get it done. An angel appeared to you. That's all you need is, I mean, that, that one time, that should be enough. So there's some food there, and, then, and he, the angel goes, takes his, takes his stick, his wand, it's not a wand, but, and, and he fries it, just boom, gone. Poof in the air, and then he says, see ya, and then he disappears. How, how many little miracles do you need to know that God's behind this? You're gonna deliver Israel. Finally, in the end, Gideon says, I can't do it. I'm scared, you've whittled down my army. What am I gonna do? Can I, can I do a few more fleeces? And finally, the angel says, look, tell you what, go down to the camp of Midian, put your ear outside that tent, that where there are two guys staying, and just listen. So he goes down there, and the, and the one guy says to the one Midian says to the other Midian, says, "I'm I, I'm scared. I, I don't want to do this. This is frightening to me." And so the guy says, "Yeah, and I'll tell you what. I had a dream last night. He said, tell me your dream." So he told the dream, and when he told the dream, he says, "Oh my gosh, that's none other than the sword of the Lord and Gideon." Finally, they say, "Okay, let's let's give it a shot." More, it's going to happen anyway, because as soon as they decide to attack, it's going to be on. God delivers a coward, excuse me. Gideon, the coward, delivers Israel from an army numbering in the multitudes with only 300 men. God specializes in the turnaround. See, some of you right now may be in a place where you've got a person in your life that needs a turnaround. You've been praying and asking God to do something. Sometimes it just seems like it's silence on the other end. You know God can, but you question, will he? Somebody that just needs maybe just one touch, and you know just one touch from God, just one touch from God, and that could change the whole scheme, that whole scenario of that particular family. Bill May was a drug dealer. We didn't know that at first. He was smooth. He had, he had another job that was his job job, and he did really well at that job. He succeeded and excelled at that job, but we found out later that his real money was made through dope dealing. He, he had come to church, and he had met this young lady some other place, and, came, and she goes to church, went to Manna Church. Her father was in heaven, and her mom was on planet Earth trying to raise a couple of daughters. And so this, this, this drug, drug dealer, Bill May, and this beautiful young lady fell in love with each other. Eventually, he decided it needed to confess that his real income came from selling drugs, and so he confessed that to his girlfriend. She came and told me, and we said, we can't do this. We're not marrying you to her. Now, I'll, I'll be glad to meet with you, and we can meet together. I'll meet with you every week. So I, I met with him every single week and, you know, poured into him. I just felt it was so I was supposed to. And I remember one day, if, if it, the build, our building's a little longer that way, and a little bit skinnier this way. But if you could just take between these, these two pillars right there, I mean, I could just still see it. I'm at the end of the sermon, 
And I'm saying if, you're in, if you've come to a place in your life where you know you need Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior and you're ready to repent of your sins and ask him to come into your life, all over this auditorium, I want you to raise your hand. And at first I looked over there and I thought, is his hand going up or not? Because he kind of went a little, a little, and then you could see it. All of a sudden he was one of that, he, it was that all in, that I'm in. Bam, up goes his hand. Thank you, you can put your hand down. Anybody else? I personally discipled him. Joined Bible college. He graduated Bible college with honors. He became a student ministry, children's ministry, in two different, different times. Eventually, we sent him out to plant a church, and he planted the fastest growing church and the largest church in Lee County, North Carolina. And then one day, those little dots appeared on his forehead. And they just got bigger, and they got more, more of them. And he didn't like the way they looked, so he went to the doctor and he said, we got a problem here. Turns out it was skin cancer. And he died and went to heaven, but not before God had turned him around and made him useful in the kingdom of God. God is writing a page turner. Number one, God specializes in the tough cases. Number two, God specializes in the turnaround. Number three, God is writing a page turner. It means it's a book you can't put down. We've all read those. Jeremiah 29, 11, it says this, for I know the plans that I have for you. And sometimes I want to say, then respectfully submitted, would you share them with me? I mean, I know, what, I know you're doing something, but I'd like to know what you're doing. And sometimes God says, look, bro, you, you let me be God and you be the follower. You ever hear that from God? <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, he's not real happy when we try to take over. So I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Why would you say that? Because I'm going to work in your life in such a way that you're going to wind up being a completely different purpose, person down the road than you are right now. And sometimes you may, you may feel like my fingers in your life reshaping you is intrusive, but you'll come to realize in the end, I wasn't trying to hurt you. I was trying to help you. I'm trying to build you. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Ruth is a tiny little book in the Bible, but it's so powerful. Ruth is a story of absolute devastation and the loss of a love turned into romance. Do not let a chapter of loss destroy your story. Paul is a story of a bitter, perse bitter persecutor turned rabid church planner and defender of the faith. See, Paul hated Jesus. He was a Pharisee, trained by Gamaliel, the best guy in the, the best Pharisee ever, trained him. And you can read and study. I've, I've done a lot of study. Paul's my favorite person. I've been to, twice to do footsteps of Paul and, and over there and love him. He's a great guy, but he wasn't. He hated Jesus and he hated the church. He, he, got, he got orders from the from the from the priest in Jerusalem to go to Damascus to also persecute Jews there, Christians there, not Jews, Christians, to take away, he was a Jew, Christians, to take away their possessions, to beat them, some to, sometimes to kill them. He was on his way to do just that when God said, I've had enough. This was a quick page turner. Don't let a chapter, Paul was bitter and angry before Jesus touched him. Don't let a chapter of bitterness and anger define your story. 
I was a youth pastor for six years and did a pretty good job. Enough where parents thought they could come and ask me their, my opinion. So with, with humility, I used to just, I don't know what to tell you. You're the parent, I'm not the parent, but I'm willing to pray with you and stand with you. And then one day it hit me. I was reading a book and I, and I thought, I can't really put this book down. You ever, you ever been there? You want to. I got stuff I got to do, but I, but I want to put the book down, but I can't. It just goes on and on and on. So you get to the end of a chapter and you go, ah, oh, one more. You read one more. Y'all don't read. <laughs> one more, just one more chapter. And so it's, you know, you're two in the morning. I'm going to confess, okay? I'm a, I'm a man, but I read The Hunger Games. Anybody? <laughs> Come on, if you're a male and you read The Hunger Games, confess. Okay, good. You know why you did it? Because you got through chapter one and you couldn't put it down to chapter two. My wife's beside me and I'm going, <gasps> so I can't believe that happened. But I want to, no, I'm not going to nudge that girl, not now. Mm -mm. Some things you leave alone, you know what I'm saying? They want to wake her up. But I do remember parents coming to me and say, you know what, Michael, what are we going to do with this girl, or this daughter? What are we going to do with our son? And God showed me something I passed along to I don't know how many of these parents over six years. I said, listen, Bob's book is being written. And this chapter he's in right now is not a very particular, it's not a very nice one. He's in a tough chapter in his life. Let me just tell you something. The last chapter is not yet written. Some of you have a person in your life who's in that kind of situation. It's not a page turner yet, it's not, but, but you know that they've been in a struggle and they're in a place right now where you wish you'd do it, you, you'd give anything you could do if you could just snap your fingers and get them out. But God knows the plan that he has. And he may not share it with you just yet. God's got a plan for that loved one. That one that wandered away, that one, maybe, maybe it's you. Maybe I'm talking to you, maybe... You're in church today because someone brought you here. I don't know. They invited you and you thought, well, I'll just come. You used to, you used to come to church a lot. You used to walk with God. You even called yourself a Christian, but now you wandered. Maybe this is your moment. Or maybe you had a brother or a sister and you've been crying out to God for them. Faith is now. Faith brings what is not into present reality. But hope is different. Hope is future. Hope sees the possibility of a better day. My brother, my older brother, name's Bill, he hated God. This is back in the, this is back in the, you know, the Jesus people movement, the charismatic movement overlap, but it was also during a very, very dark time in America's history with with drugs and more drugs and communes and my, my sister moved into a commune and my, my dad wouldn't go in the place or even acknowledge that it was that I was his daughter so my mom would make a casserole and give it to me and drive over there and say Mike go inside and make sure you give that casserole to Molly and bring me the dish I gave you from the last one I mean but she was she would she had she was not smart, you know, she, she married a drug dealer. What's this with drug dealers? But she married a drug dealer who was running back and forth to Columbia as a photographer, but bringing drugs, acting as a mule. 
But back to my brother, no, he didn't just struggle with immorality. I mean, that was all there. He hated God. I don't know what happened. Eventually, he just decided to, to join the army. He, he was convinced that in this next lottery, they were gonna pick him, and he was gonna get, and the, and the anxiety of waiting was too much. So he just went in and signed up to be in the military. He came home with two. My father was also in, the, in, in Vietnam at a, similar, at a dissimilar time, but two guys from the same family, different places, same mission. So he, Bill came home, 6'3", but he was emaciated. Didn't realize that he'd been exposed to Agent Orange and what Agent Orange would do to you if you were exposed to it. It began to eat his body from the inside out. I don't think that had anything to do with the fact that he hated God. I can't tell you exactly why, but he just did. So my father was in Vietnam before my brother signed up to go to Vietnam. My father was in Vietnam, he was a Catholic. We went to Catholic church, because that's what Catholics do, they go to Catholic church. My mother was a Methodist, so she didn't go to church at all, because she didn't want to have the, the disagreement between Methodist and Catholic. So when dad was in Vietnam, my mom would say, Bill, you can drive, take the keys, take Molly and Joe, my little brother, and Mike, me, to church. And he'd pull up outside the church and look at us and he'd threaten us. I mean, he's a lot bigger than I was. He said, you tell mom, yeah, I want you to get out of this car, go to church, but I'm not coming in. I'll be back in 45 minutes to pick you up. And if you tell mom I didn't go in, I'm gonna beat them out of you. So when he, if he eventually got, you know, he was a drug guy too. He, everybody was in the 60s and early 70s. So he, he finally got into a place where after he came back from Vietnam and got himself situated, every now and then he'd go in the hospital. My sister called me on the phone and said, Mike, Bill's in the hospital. Don't call me Mike, I'm Michael. Only though my brothers and sisters call me Mike. Otherwise. <clears throat> so I said, Molly, I'm not gonna call him. I mean, I'll pray for him, but see, we go, to, we go to Thanksgiving at mom and dad's house, and my brother would not look at me. I was, I was the personification of everything evil because I was a pastor now. How could you, how could you stoop so lowly to peddle that bleep to people, unsuspecting, weak-minded people? That's the way, if he ever spoke, but I'll tell you, I, I bet you a nickel, my wife here should testify. I bet you a nickel we went to three of those in a row and I never got spoke to one time. Just hated me. But in this phone call, I'll never forget where I was. I was on my first, I was getting ready for my first sabbatical I ever took. I was in Jonesboro, Tennessee, putting gas in our van. My sister called. Mike, Bill's sick. I said, what? I'll pray for him. You need to call him. I, why would I want to do that? He's not going to, he's going to hang up the phone. Why would I want to do that? I just think you should pray about it, Mike, and then I think you should do it. So I remember getting, I, I remember putting the van, you know, the, the gasoline away, the door to, into the van is open. I'm getting ready to get in. I looked at Laura and I said, my brother's sick. Molly wants me to call him. She said, you're not going to do that, are you? I mean, we can pray that God will send somebody, but it's obviously it's not working here. So as I, got in the, as I got in the van, I said, you know what? I think I'm supposed to call him. 
I think I'm supposed to call it. So I drove a little bit, and the more I drove, the more it became an issue. So I called my sister, got his number. I called him on the phone, and he said, Mike, I was just trying to call you. I gotta ask you a question. I said, are you okay? I'm in the hospital, yeah, I'm, I'm sick. You know, they don't know about what this fill in the blank is, but, and they probably never ever will figure out what this fill in the blank is. But he said, he said, listen, I need, I need to ask, I need to tell you something, and I need to ask you something. I said, okay. He said, I'm in my hospital room, and this lady came to clean my hospital room, and she put this magazine right down on front of her cart where she's cleaning my, she's cleaning my room. And, um, and I'm looking at it, and there's, there's this guy, and he's, he's got like a cross behind him and all these like thousands of people, and I was just trying to make, make conversation with this lady who cleans my room, and I said, what is that? And she said, well, that, that's, that's my pastor. I'm really proud of him because he preaches the gospel and he introduces Jesus to, introduce people to Jesus and, 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 he, and he, you know, led these people to Christ and he teaches the word of God. He's so honest and, and pure. And it's not like those other, you know, guys on TV. And so he said, and when she was, all the time she was talking, all I could feel was light inside of me. And when she stopped to clean, it just turned dark. What is that? And in my brain, I'm going, I, I don't know. So he said, so what am I, what, you know, what, what do I do with that? I, I said, you know, Bill, it may be that God is trying to speak to you. And he didn't bark at me or bite me. So he said, okay, probably so. Thanks for calling. Hung up. A little while later, I get this, I get this call. And it's, it's Bill again. And he says, I said, what's, what's going on? He said, when I talk to you on the phone, I just got to talk to you. I can't get off the phone with you or this lady. I got to keep talking. When I'm talking to you, I feel forgiven. I feel, I feel light on the inside. And, we, and when we hang up, it just goes right back to the darkness and all the stuff that I've done. And I said, well, maybe you should ask Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior and come into your life. He said, will that do it? I said, if your heart's sincere, and you really are. Talk about a turnaround. If you're really sincere, he says, I, I just, I can't step back out of this light. So I led him in a prayer. And at the end, he goes, oh, I thought, he's, you know, oh, he's dying. I'm on the phone. No Zoom in those days. He goes, oh, yeah, I like that. That lightness, that, I said, this is called forgiveness. I like forgiveness. This is great. So, but listen, don't ask me to, I'm not going to be an evangelist. I'm not, don't, don't ask me to go and start talking to people about this. I'm not planning on telling anybody, I'm not going to do that. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. And so I, we, we, I hung up the phone. I told my, my, my wife, said, what happened? I said, I think I just got my brother back. The one I never knew, the one that hate me, beat him, he beat me up mercilessly for fun. Chased me down, just beat me. I think I got my brother back. So he, he called me back and he said, 
hey, how you doing? I said, I, he called me back. I said, hey, how you doing? He said, I'm doing fine. Um, tell me about that prayer again. So I was concerned, you know, that it wasn't real. He said, tell me about that prayer again. I said, why? He said, because I got to tell this nurse. I got this nurse, and she does not know. I asked her. She don't expect me to be an evangelist, but I asked her. I asked her if she's ever, you know, if she ever asked Jesus Christ to be her Savior. And she didn't have a good answer. So I'm waiting for her to come back in here, and I need that prayer that she prayed. I said, it's just, it's not, a, it's not magic, Bill. It's just, just, just out of your heart, share. Just do it out of your heart. So he's okay, but don't expect me to do this a lot because I'm not going to. So then I said, I started to take a step. I said, what about your doctor? She said, yeah, that guy too. He came in here and he wanted to you know, get in here quick and get out. And I said, whoa, I got to talk to you about something, but don't. Again, I'm not an evangelist. Don't expect me to do that. But I asked him about Jesus Christ and he said no. And so I held onto his arm and he said, let go. So I did. But personal assistant was here yes it was here Thursday he sat right over there he, he just he just travels with me you know helps me drive it's a long distance whatever the case may be so he was there in, at, at the office and I, I said uh, Mike his name is Mike too Michael Wiggins I actually said Michael because I call him Michael Michael I need you to do me a favor I, I need to get some I need to get some Maranatha old Maranatha CDs and some Hillsong CDs whatever music I need to get a Bible written in a modern language and I need you to take a long trip with me. I'm going to get in the car and I'm going to drive to Gainesville, Georgia from Fayetteville, North Carolina. And so he said, I'm in. So we did. We drove. We drove all the way to Gainesville, Georgia. Went inside the house. And he used to be 6'3 and thin, but this, he had bloated. And um, they finally acknowledged that he had been exposed to Agent Orange. And anyway, it's another story. So I gave him the tapes and the CDs, and he listened to a little bit of it, and gave him the Bible. He said, yeah, this is where I can read this. And man, thanks for coming. And, and I just, I, I just, I said, I never thought I'd see this day. He said, I, I didn't either. You gotta forgive me. Are, are you kidding? It's already forgiven. The moment you said, there's light and there's darkness, and I want the light, you, you made the choice. Two days later, I get a call from Vicki, Bill's wife. Bill died. Two days old in Christ. And at his funeral, I preached this. At his funeral, I preached his story. That was the message, was his story. You know, maybe you're here today. And you're just waiting, even though you don't realize it, to be somebody's story. Somebody's been praying for you. Maybe you know they have. Maybe they're sitting on, not trying to embarrass you, maybe they're sitting on the road right beside you. I don't know. Maybe you're, you need to turn around. Or maybe you've got somebody in your family that needs to turn around. Again, I don't know. Let's be a little bit crazy. Let's go ask God. 
to turn some of these stories that are going the opposite direction, to turn them around. You want to do that? Let's do that together. Can we do that? I'm going to ask you, don't, don't, don't say any, don't, don't pray out loud. Just pray under, I'll be the one praying out loud. You pray under your breath. When I say fill in the blank, you fill in the blank, okay? Let's bow our heads right now. Father, I want to invite you to come into my life and to be my Savior and my Lord in this very moment. Or maybe your situation is different and you're born again, but you just need to come back to God. So Lord, I, I ask you to receive me back. I confess that I wandered away Come into my life. Turn me around. Let's pray for somebody else. Father, right now, I pray for fill in the blank. I ask you, God, to touch her, to touch him. Lord, use me or don't use me but use somebody to bring my somebody back to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give a hand for those who may have asked Jesus Christ.